Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining us on the podcast today is Director of ETFs, Andre Bruno. As the fourth quarter of the year wraps up, Andre shares his perspectives on the current market environment and what outcomes and challenges he sees playing out for the rest of the year and into 2024. Andre says market reactions suggest an anticipation of rate cuts early in the new year, and those probabilities of rate cuts are priced in for both the U.S. and Canada. The Fed has indicated a cautious stance, emphasizing a potential deviation from a smooth economic path. The Bank of Canada is perceived to have completed its rate hiking cycle, but recent GDP performance in Canada indicates flatness, raising the possibility of entering a technical recession if the trend persists. Andre points out diversification remains paramount in uncertain economic times. He adds discussions about portfolio risk and strategic allocations need to occur and that longer duration securities are potentially more attractive in an evolving interest rate environment. This podcast was recorded on November 14th, 2023. Hi, Andre. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm doing well, Pamela. Always great to see you as well. Great to have you join us here today. Okay, so markets are reacting. It's wild. So do we have cuts around the corner? This is maybe what the market seems to think initially. Well, the market's starting to price in some cuts in uh, in 2024. Uh, if you take a look at market expectations, um, you know, some some probability of cuts are starting to get priced in early 2024, both in Canada and the U.S., albeit, you know, the probabilities are small, but uh, it, it looks like the market has pivoted to some degree. I know up until recently we were talking about, you know, is the Fed going to get another 25 basis points in? Uh, it seems the market is convinced that the Fed is done. Um, you know, that's to to contrast to, you know, Chairman Powell and some other Fed speakers that we've heard recently discussing how, you know, the path to 2% isn't going to be as smooth as we think, a need for higher for longer. Um, you know, the higher for longer uh, sentiment has been echoed by the BOC as well. I think most folks agree that the BOC is most likely certainly done their rate hiking cycle. Obviously, any, you know, the bogey there is inflation. If for whatever reason we do see, you know, a March higher in inflation, obviously all bets are off, although that is not what folks are expecting. DPIs are trending in the right direction, whether you're looking at Canada, the U.S., even Europe is starting to get their inflation story under control over there as well. So it looks like the inflation story is improving. We are heading towards that 2% target. Um, and it looks like, you know, we are pretty close to the end of the rate hike cycle, if not at the end of the rate hike cycle for the Fed. Uh, certainly if for the BOC, it looks like we're at the end here. Let's let's hit you with the crystal ball question right up front. Um, obviously, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it does kind of look like. I mean, well, you take a look at work prices are, are cuts are being priced in for for soon ish. Actually, does does that seem realistic? I think I think the BOC is going to move before the Fed in terms of rate cuts. Um, again, I think there's a lot of uh, you know. Uh, it is in risks to the Canadian economy relative to, say, the U.S. economy. Um, you know, if we look at Canada, I think, again, you know, last two months of GDP have been, you know, flat month over month. Um, we should get the Q3 numbers uh, sometime soon. So it'll be interesting to see that. Obviously, you know, just a refresher for, for folks, a technical recession is two negative uh, quarters of GDP. Um, so we haven't seen that yet. Uh, very possible. We are going to see that. Um, but again, I think... Um, 
I think if we're looking in the crystal ball and we're thinking, you know, when plausibly could the BOC cut, I think earliest would probably, my bet would be Q2, um, potentially Q3. For the U.S., I certainly think they have a little bit more leeway. You know, the, the underlying economics of the U.S. still look a little bit, little better than Canada. We aren't seeing, you know, massive slowdowns. The last GDP print in the U.S. was, was fairly decent. Uh, so I think, you know, if we do get cuts from the Fed, if I, if I was a betting man, I think, you know, earliest, probably, you know, late next year, if not into 2025. Of course, things could turn quickly in the U.S. and we could see those cuts come. But I think, again, the, the Fed really wants to, to maintain that higher for longer. Uh, so I think my bet is to, to push out those cuts later for, for the U.S. relative to Canada. Just to share with everyone joining you here today, many of whom have seen you many times before, but just, uh, your role, your director of ETFs, that's the product side. You come actually originally from sort of the bond side of things. I know that you keep in touch with um, market participants. Just just give us a, a little bit of a run through of, of what you head up. Yeah. So as the director of ETFs, you know, you know, my primary role is kind of fits into two separate silos. So, you know, product development. So that's, you know, all the way from idea generation all the way to, to launching ETFs into market. And the other side is, is kind of the capital markets ETF management side of the business. So there we, we, we kind of deal more of the nuts and bolts of the everyday operation of the ETFs. We interface with, you know, our market makers, our custodians, our transfer agents. So we kind of make sure, you know, we kind of, Grease the wheels and make sure our ETFs are, are operating as we'd expect, make sure they're trading properly in the market and, and things of that nature. So it, it's fascinating. So, I mean, what are, if I can just ask you, market participants saying right now? I mean, you probably haven't spoken to all of them since the CPI report came out um, uh, very recently. But, but what have you noticed? Have there been any sort of subtle shifts or, or even not so subtle shifts when you, when you have conversations with people in terms of their outlook? Yeah, certainly there's been a little bit, and I'm thinking about ETF flows here. There's certainly been a little bit more interest in equities kind of June on, not still not a ton. Obviously, fixed income is still kind of the, the number one leader in terms of asset flows for ETFs year to date, uh, with I believe, you know, somewhere north of about 18 billion inflows. I believe equities are somewhere around eight or nine billion, uh, in terms of inflows. Um, some of the conversations that are happening now, obviously there's a little bit more interest in duration on the fixed income side. Um, on the equity side, international European equities have been garnering a lot more flows relative to U.S., which has been a bit of an interesting dynamic this year. Um, you know, speaking to some traders just about credit, credit has not moved a ton this year. We're not seeing credit spreads, you know, widen out by any margin, you know, any any large margin, which is obviously is that surprising. Is that a bit surprising? Well, you know, you know, as much as we're talking about a deterioration in the in the macroeconomic story, whether it's Canada and the U.S., you'd expect them to tend a little bit wider. I think, I think, you know, one of the reasons we're not seeing that widen out is, you know, I think, I think corporations or their balance sheets are relatively robust, so there's not a, a huge concern in terms of credit credit event from that perspective. When you're looking at the high yield space. Um, again, what you're seeing is, you know, a lot of the maturities have been pushed out to 2025. So again, there's, there's not a ton of default to in the high yield space. So again, high yield, I think has been the, the number two best performing sector this year in the fixed income space. I believe number one is still leveraged loans. Obviously those are floating rates. So conceptually that makes sense. Um, so again, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of cracks in the corporate credit market, I should say. Uh, obviously in consumer credit, um, 
That's what yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah. Consumer credit story. I'm stealing your questions. Uh, no, consumer consumer credit story. Uh, you're starting to see some delinquencies tick up in the United States on the credit card side and the auto loan side. Again, nothing, you know, not at extreme levels that we have concern, but they are ticking up a little bit higher. Uh, I think something that's factoring into that, obviously rate hikes are factoring into that. Um, another thing that's factoring into that as well is, is savings. Um, obviously, there was this glut of savings that built up over COVID. We're starting to see that number get, you know, close to zero, not at zero just yet, but the line is trending towards zero. So obviously the consumers are feeling the pinch. So just further on the consumer side of things, it seems like the right moment to, to ask you about the mortgage discussion, which to many will say that that is, if you had to nail nail them against the wall, the BOC would say the reason we have to cut is because mortgages could crunch. So there are a lot of mortgage renewals coming up in 2024, even more in 2025. So um, again, you're going to see both the fixed payers renewing and the, the variable rate payers are also going to feel the pinch. So again, the fixed, obviously that makes sense. Someone fixed five years ago, now they're renewing. Interest rates are much higher. That makes a ton of sense. So, you know, from the adjustable rate side, you might be thinking, well, why are they, they should have been already feeling the pinch as, as rates are moving higher. Uh, but what folks need to understand about, and I'm sure many folks already understand this because many folks listening probably have adjustable rate or have had adjustable rate mortgages in the past. Um, you know, when those rate weight hikes happen, they don't necessarily see their payment change, their amortization period changes. So their payment is able to stay the same. Eventually, there's a trigger rate where, you know, they take a look and they take a look at your mortgage. And then that's when you feel that increased interest rate. So those folks are actually the most vulnerable in 2024 and 2025. Um, that being said, the fixed rate mortgagers should still see their, their, their payment potentially increase, you know, Depending on when they have their mortgage, but could be could be upwards of thirty percent increases on their on their monthly carrying cost on their mortgage. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, if if we sort of go from there into what gets hit in that sort of situation, I mean, do do you look at the financials broadly being being the place that feels some of that pain if we do start to see that crunch? Yeah, I believe so. I think I think there is a risk for the financials in that scenario. Obviously, um, you know, you know. Given those numbers and given how many, you know, resets we're going to see, obviously the potential for defaults and delinquencies on mortgages in theoretically would, would edge higher. Obviously that's negative to, to earnings for the, the big six banks in Canada. So, so certainly that, that might be a bearish case for the big six banks over the next couple of years, given, given that mortgage backdrop. Uh, and, and, and just generally given the consumer, obviously mortgages are the last thing, historically anyway, mortgages are the last thing consumers typically default on. You know, the first thing that goes is discretionary spending, then your credit cards, then your auto loans. And then again, the last thing to, to drop is your mortgages. Again, folks typically don't want to default on their mortgage. But again, you know, as those rates move up, obviously um, the allowances for bad debts will increase for the banks. And obviously that hits earnings uh, immediately. Uh, so again, there, there certainly is going to be some headwinds for the Canadian banks over the next couple of years. Um, take us into so retail sales. We, we were getting some numbers out on that, sort of the North American picture. Um, Again, what what either do you expect, or, or you know what what ultimately does it mean? We're in this very data dependent world right now. Just put it in context for us, really, for the uh, coming up to the holiday season too. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, holidays you get a bit of an uptick in 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 retail sales. You know, everyone wants to buy gifts for the holiday season. 
Uh, I think taking a slightly, you know, medium term look, I think you're, you're going to continue to see a deterioration in retail sales. U.S. retail sales held in a little bit, you know, better than Canadian retail sales, which again, for, for, for those dynamics we mentioned earlier with regards to the divergence between the Canadian consumer, I think is playing a big part in that. Uh, but again, I think you're going to continue to see a deterioration in, in retail sales for the Canadian consumer. Uh, again, as we start to get to mortgage renewal next year, uh, that's going to continue to filter into that number. Uh, and obviously, as we know, you know, the consumer is, is the largest chunk of the economy, whether you're looking at Canada or the U.S. Right. Okay. Really interesting. So. Uh, what, what do you see on sort of the deal side of things? I mean, I, I feel like this is something that gets discussed quite a lot. But if, if you look sort of capital markets wide, are there different players that are not there? I'm sort of thinking of private equity. They have a different model. So when rates are higher, it's, it's perhaps more difficult for them to go shopping. Do you see consolidation happening in terms of, you know, companies and their competitors, for instance? Yes, things have certainly uh, settled down in the private equity space. Again, that, that is a highly levered area of the market. So, you know, as interest rates creep higher, um, deals typically cool off a little bit, right? You know, you're thinking about, you know, your return, your hurdle rates that you need to achieve on, on a private equity investment. You know, those are going up, you know, with interest rates. Again, that gets filtered into their, their overall cost structure. Um, so we certainly have seen, you know, quieting on deal flow from that perspective, obviously VCs and, um, you know, Silicon Valley thinking, you know, thinking of those VCs, but, you know, they've obviously been in the news over the last, I feel like six, seven, eight years. We, we've, we've, we've heard from them, whether you're looking at CNBC or wherever, there, there was always some VC in the news talking about, you know, investing in tech names. So I think things have certainly slowed down there with higher interest rates. And again, you know, if you think about your higher interest rate, your higher cost of capital, you're going to have to be a little bit choosier. Money isn't free anymore. Um, you're going to have to place smarter and more targeted and tactical bets. Yeah. It's really interesting um, taking a look at sort of the central banks itself. So we've talked a lot about Bank of Canada, and I'm curious what you think the Fed does from here. I mean, as you mentioned at the top, we've heard a lot of speakers. They're probably not going to tell us immediately when they, when they are planning to cut or not. But I mean, again, if you're a betting person, would you would you say that's about it? I If I had to bet... Uh, on a balance of probabilities, I think the Fed is probably done for this cycle. Um, what you also have to appreciate is just because they're just because they're done hiking rates, it doesn't mean they're not tightening monetary policy. I, as we know, I feel like we don't talk about this enough, but in the back end, we still do have quantitative tightening. The money supply is decreasing, so financial conditions are still tightening, even if the Fed isn't hiking rates further. Um, Why so didn't we talk about that enough, actually? You know, that's that's a good question. I mean, it should be talked about more because, again, you know, financial conditions are a function of obviously interest rates, but they're also a function of, of, of the money supply as well. Um, obviously, the overall amount of money in the system is going to affect, you know, short term funding rates. If there's less cash to go around, you know, that could place pressure on short term funding rates as well. Um, but I think, again, I think the Fed is committed to continue that. As we know, the balance sheet since 2008 has absolutely exploded. Um, so I think I think Chairman Powell is cognizant of that, and I think he he really does want to get that balance sheet to more sustainable levels. Yeah, no, I mean I mean that makes sense. I'm curious um, from your vantage point what what you find quite fascinating around the world. I mean a lot of things have changed. It's it's literally a brand new world, or or we're going back to a more typical world. I'm not sure which, but um, what do you find particularly fascinating right now from your vantage point? 
Yeah, I think Europe is is starting to look somewhat interesting. Obviously, from a valuation perspective, they're they're cheap relative to to say U.S. And historically, that's always the case. Typically, Europe does trade at a discount uh, to the United States. But I think I think Europe might be a little bit ahead of North America in terms of where they are in the economic cycle. You know, things you know, you take a look at PMIs, whether it's you know. Uh, you know, services or goods are still in contractionary uh, sub 50 levels. Um, so they're not quite out of the woods just yet, but you're starting to see a little bit of uptick in employment. The unemployment rates have been dropping in, in Europe. So there is a little bit of positive light. You know, earnings have been a little bit mixed in Europe, um, but I think it's, it, it is an interesting area to look at over the next year or so. Um, it's, it's potential that they might come out of, you know, kind of their, you know, let's call it Flow growth environment a little bit ahead of us, but from a relative perspective, Europe is starting to look a little bit interesting. And again, we have been seeing a ton of flows going into international and European equities this year. You have, or you haven't? You have. You have, and I'm talking, you know, specifically with regards to ETFs. Uh, the bulk, the bulk of uh, ETF equity flows have been going into international and European markets. Fascinating. From from uh, a Canadian investor, you're making Canadian bucks. Why Europe? What's the why not the U.S.? You just think it's the dollar could be on the decline? From not, not, not to say you don't want to allocate some money to, to the U.S. Um, I, I mean, I think relative to Canada, the U.S. certainly over the next year anyway, looks a little bit more attractive to me for, for many of the reasons we mentioned previously. Um, if you want to talk about FX a little, I, I don't love the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar. Again, you know, a couple of things at play here, obviously, if interest rate differentials um, U.S. interest rates are higher than Canadian interest rates, and, and we've seen it. The, the Canadian dollar has depreciated quite a bit against the U.S. dollars over the last year. Uh, but again, uh, given the backdrop of the economic headwinds that we're facing, and I think they're a little bit worse than, than what the U.S. is potentially facing as well, I'd be more biased towards holding U.S. dollars relative to Canadian dollars. Um, when will dividend yields start to compete? With GIC rates, actually, question. Well, I think I think you need to see prices, <laughs> equity prices move lower before the dividend yield moves um, higher. As we know, the dividend yield is uh, is just a function of the of the prices as well. So, I mean, if you do see you know an equity market pullback, I think you will see dividends kind of march a little bit higher. The, I mean, the other the other way of, you know the other way you can see dividend yields move higher is if you know corporations start paying out more. But given kind of the the macroeconomic headwinds, I, I I doubt we'll see corporations, you know, in increase their payout ratios or increase the amount of dividends. So I think the only scenario you you'll probably see that that's reasonable over the next 12 months is if we do see an equity market correction. Oh, OK. Really interesting. Um, in Canada, I mean, I'm not sure whether we whether you have said others have said um, that there might be a bit of a soft or neutral landing here in the U.S. In Canada, are we do we have a sort of a more extreme a couple of scenarios that we're looking at. Yeah, I think the risk for a harder landing is certainly higher in Canada. It's it's very possible we do just get a soft landing scenario. Um, I think the perfect storm is kind of getting a lot of mortgage renewals and then a large uptick in unemployment. Because um, ultimately, then you have two things. You know, obviously, unemployment consumption is going to go down, but then you also have the hit to the housing market if folks cannot pay their mortgages and and you know, the, the carrying cost of their mortgage is also going up as well. I think that's kind of the perfect storm for a potential hard landing scenario in Canada. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how stimulative would 
that's in Canada B, sort of on the, on the other side of that. So if the Can- Bank of Canada decides, look, we really do have to get on with this sooner, perhaps in other countries around the world that are, that are fighting inflation, um, would it be more or less stimulative to have the Fed start cutting in the U.S. or, or Canada would have cutting here? I, I, I think cuts in Canada are more stimulative relative to cuts in the U.S. for the consumer. Um, and again, the, you know, in, in terms of the housing costs as a percentage of income, we're at pretty high levels here in Canada. Um, so of course, some of that is, is, is rent as well. Not everyone, not everyone has a mortgage, not everyone owns. But if you think about all those folks who own, you know, interest rate cuts are going to be, are going to put a lot of money back into those folks' pockets, of course. And there's obviously, you know, Consumer debt is not just mortgage. Obviously, there's other floating rate loans, such as personal lines of credit as well. So there'll be, you know, you know, people will have seen some more income from there as well, obviously, as interest rates move lower. So I think the cuts will have a lot of stimulative effect. And again, I think the BOC is very cognizant of what's happening in the mortgage market, all the renewals that are coming in the mortgage market. I know the Canadian banks are doing some stuff proactively to soften that blow as well. Um, so I think they're going to be very sensitive to what they're seeing in the mortgage market. And I think, again, that's one of the reasons why I think the BOC may have to move quicker and, and cut faster relative to the Fed. Okay. So I think you sort of gotten into that. I was, I was curious about what you see the, on the softening of the blow there, but that, that is really interesting. Take us back to equity markets. Um, it, they're, they're, they've been rallying. The CPI number showed that we've maybe got inflation further under control in the U.S. than you anyway. Um, what's the equity picture right now from your perspective? Yeah, if you take a look at the S&P 500 as well, a lot of the, a lot of the returns have been driven by just a handful of names. Obviously, the Magnificent 7 has been talked about quite a bit. Um, you know, if you, if you strip out those seven names of the S&P, it, it has not done a ton this year. Um, so again, com- communication services and tech have been the, the number one and two uh, number one and two sectors in, in the S&P 500 this year. So there hasn't been a lot of breadth in terms of returns. So I think your biggest risk um, from an equity perspective, you know, if we do get a pullback, I think obviously those Magnificent Seven are, are at the biggest risk, risk for corrections. If you take a look at valuations as well, um, you know, the Magnificent Seven valuations are, are much, much higher relative to the S&P as a whole. And if you take a look at the other 493 names, uh, their valuations are are much much lower, so that's something to consider in your investment portfolios, especially as a regard with regards to you know cap weighted indices. Of course, um, I, I think those are specifically you know from a valuation perspective quite vulnerable to any pullbacks in the equity market. That's very interesting. So I mean, the diversification case comes in here, and I mean ETFs are are an excellent vehicle for that, but it just speaks to so so what what sort of diversification do you want? People at different stages and ages, of course, but just yeah, so vacation. Certainly. And, and again, we talked about, you know, cap weight indices being, you know, heavily weighted towards, again, those those magnificent seven. So obviously looking at a diversified, you know, away from that type of concentration uh, is, is, of course, prudent in terms of your overall kind of risk. And we're taking a look at how your your equity portfolio is tilted. Um, obviously, I'm still favoring being a little bit defensive. So looking at quality, you know, qual- talk about factors a little bit, talk about quality factor is, is something that I personally would favor historically as well. Quality has been kind of where you want to be in the late stage of the cycle, which which right. many agree is where we are right now. So again, being defensive there. Uh, on the fixed income side, if we can pivot a little bit, Pamela, um, 
because because I do want to talk about that as well. You know, given we talked about you know the Fed and the BOC you know being at the end of the cycle here in terms of their rate hikes. Um, again, a lot of the fixed income flows this year. We, we you know I quoted that eighteen billion number into fixed income. A lot of that has been you know money market instruments, whether that's HISA or money market ETFs. Um, so again, you know the duration conversation is starting to happen now. Is you know if they are done, is now the time to start adding to duration. Uh, we also have to think about, we're also talking about cuts and, and that plays into the story as well. So, you know, as we know, if you're investing in that front end of the curve, you do have that reinvestment risk. And what that means is, you know, I'm investing in, let's say, you know, short term instruments at, you know, five, five and a half percent today. You know, let's say it's got a, you know, a one year uh, maturity in one year. If the BOC has started to cut, you know, those front end rates are no longer going to be five percent. It could be four percent. If they get 100 beeps in, it could be four and a half percent, whatever they're going to be. Um, but again, your longer duration securities, you're, you're still going to be able to lock in that higher yield for longer. So folks should think about that reinvestment risk. They should start thinking about duration. Uh, I think it certainly looks uh, a lot more attractive now relative to, to what it has looked like over the past two years during the rate hike cycle. That's really interesting. I mean, and, and again, yeah, and, and again, sort of the cuts conversation into that particular piece. Certainly, there's, uh, again, you know, if the BOC start cutting and you do start to see yields push lower, obviously duration is your friend in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how, how this is all kind of coming together. It looks like a little bit of a, of a soft landing. Any message that you particularly want to leave with advisors to, to speak with their clients about? Is, is it the diversification piece? Yeah, obviously, when there's still uncertainty with regards to the economy, obviously, diversification is your friend. I think the fixed income conversation uh, is going to be an important one because I think, again, uh, there were a lot of tough conversations regarding fixed income over the last couple of years. It was supposed to be kind of that safe, boring area of the portfolio that gave you, you know, potentially two negative years of returns. It still had a challenging return this year as well. Um, so I think that's going to be a tough conversation, but I think it's going to be an important conversation to have have with clients, you know, to talk about you know, now is potentially a time to take a look at bonds, take a look at duration again. Because uh, again, last year, it didn't really perform that insurance function because typically what we've, we've, we've always said is when stocks are going down, bonds are going up. Right. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen last year. Bonds were down, stocks were down. Uh, but again, if you do get that recessionary environment, you know, duration is going to be your friends and you should see that correlation uh, come back when, when, the, when the economy is going lower and, uh, you know, bonds are moving higher. So there's a question just to, to, to keep you on your toes here. So how do you see immigration affecting productivity is, is sort of the ultimate question here. And, and also unemployment rates. So it's, a, it's back to the Canadian economy itself and how immigration may affect on two fronts. Yeah, so th- there has been some conversations uh, about immigration in Canada here. Obviously, um, broadly speaking, immigration typically has the effect of, you know, increasing GDP. Obviously, the more consumers you have, you know, GDP numbers go up. You've obviously, we've obviously had a lot of immigration over the last little while here in Canada. You've seen GDP go up. What unfortunately you've been seeing go down is GDP per capita. Um, you know, you overlay the infrastructure issues that we have. Obviously, Canadian housing is a big, is a big question. Um, and I think that's, you know, the, the housing question has been coming up a lot as it relates to immigration as well. We're saying, you know, our housing stock is not keeping up with immigration's level. We're continuing to see upward movement in housing prices. Um, so I think, I think there is going to be a long, hardened question about, you know, what are the sustainable immigration levels? You know, is infrastructure going to be able to keep up? Is housing stock going to be able to keep up? Uh, so again, ideally you want to see, 
you know, immigration is obviously great. You want to see GDP go up, but you, you would also like to see GDP per capita go up with that. And we haven't been seeing that. That's great. Andre Bruno, it's great to get your thoughts on so many different things and, and on a particularly interesting day with the CPI print coming in. Thanks for joining us. Always glad to be here, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.